And if you're not walking in God's Word and devouring God's Word on a daily basis, if you're not communing with God in fervent, desperate prayer on your face, on your knees, on a daily basis, if you are not amongst the fellowship of believers in a Bible-based church that preaches the Word, that encourages you, that holds you accountable, that cares for your soul, if you are not doing those things and you think somehow you're going to get out of this battle without any scars, you're only fooling yourselves. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you today, and we just seek you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, O God. And we run hard after you right now. And God, I pray that you would speak in a a powerful way. I pray that the Holy Spirit would ignite a flame in our hearts right now, oh God. God, as we open your word, I pray that we would receive it gladly. Not with rebellion, not with a stiff neck. But God, I pray that we'd receive it joyfully. So God, you speak right now. God, you do the work only you can do. May your glory rise above us right now as we exalt your word. I pray that many, many will run to the cross of Jesus Christ today. And God, will be quick to give you all the praise, give you all the glory. Hide me behind the shadows of the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Jude as we continue our study in Jude, this sermon series of battling for the truth, of grappling for the truth. And I pray as you take your Bible right now and turn to verses 16 through 19, that I pray that as I am even speaking right now, that the Holy Spirit will begin to do that work, that I pray that my heart and your heart will be cultivated, that will be pliable and flexible as the The farmer tills the land. I pray that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will till our land, so to speak, and make it fertile soil, that we'd hunger and thirst today. Oh, I pray right now we'd hunger and thirst today for His truth, for His righteousness. And I pray that we will never be the same again as we leave here today. And so as we battle for this truth, this series, the specific title for this message is simply entitled, Attitudes of the Heart That Divide. Let me say that again. The title of this message today is, Attitudes of the Heart That Divide. When we have attitudes that are ungodly in our hearts, those attitudes will divide. They are very divisive because the attitudes of the heart that are not godly and are not of God are selfish, are inwardly focused. And anytime we operate in a me-centered fashion towards those around us, that will be offensive to the flesh. That will be offensive to others. That will be offensive to all that we come in contact with. And so we want attitudes that do not divide, but we want attitudes of the heart that are focused on God, are focused on His glory, are focused on His praise, so that as we exalt the name of Jesus, we pray that that attitude of humility, that posture of the heart, will be one that others see and they go, I want what you have and perhaps that's a good question to ask right now when people see me and when people see you do they look at me and do they look at you and simply proclaim with a shout I want what you have oh I pray today As we unpack these verses, I pray that 
you and I both will begin to live more for Christ than ever before. And so here's what Jude wrote in Jude 16 through 19 through the inspiration and illumination of the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Word of God says. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. Now listen next. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people. Why? To gain advantage, it says. Now look at verse 17. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Now look at 19, our final verse for today. These are sensual persons who cause divisions. Don't miss that. Not having the Spirit, capital S. Wow, oh wow. Jude so beautifully describes these apostates, these false teachers, those that said they were for the gospel, they're no longer for the gospel. Uh, They went out from us, so to speak, but they were not truly of us. And we know this, that people will truly know us by our fruit, won't they? And as I've said before, time is the great exposer of who we all really are. Me, you, everyone we know, time is the great exposer. Time will reveal who we really are. We can only keep up the charade for so long. Because at some point, at some point, it's going to be hard to keep up with all the falsehoods because you can't keep track of all the falsehoods. At some point, we're going to slip up if we're really not for Jesus. At some point, if we're really working for the enemy, we're going to stub our toe and catch a nail, so to speak, and whoops, people are going to really see who we are once we take off the Sunday church suit, so to speak. They're going to realize that if we're not really for Jesus, we may dress up as a Christian on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday will reveal where the heart really is. See, Jude gives these great characteristics and visuals for us to see when he says in verse 16, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to do what? To gain advantage. You know, right now, as I'm thinking about these complainers and these grumblers and these definitions of who these people really are, I'm just going to pause here for a moment, and again, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, will you, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear? Give us a desire to obey? And please, illuminate, illuminate the Word of God right now like never before. Because these complainers, they're everywhere. These grumblers are everywhere. They walk according to their own lust. What in the world is he talking about? What are these people? Who are these people? Well, these grumblers, it literally means this in the original language to murmur. One who discontently complains especially against God. Not just about circumstances, but especially against God. But have you ever been around someone who constantly complains? I mean, they're just grumbling. I've learned this over the years that uh, what typically happens is that in the heart, when the attitudes of the heart are not set on God, when the affections, uh, when the longing of the heart, the posture of the heart is not longing to please the Lord, it's not there truthfully, there might have been the outward profession, there might have been all the external trappings that something supposedly happened, but many times it's an event-based salvation where nothing truly took root, There was no real radical rescue. It was all a sham in the end. And what happens is these type of people begin to grumble. But have you noticed 
it really always starts with a mumble. Just a low mumble. And then people do begin to grumble. Very discontently. I'm not getting what I want. And I want to do this. And I don't like that. And I don't like this song. And the preacher preaches too long. And I don't like what we're doing there. And I wish we had pumpkin spice coffee in the church coffee bar. And, and I don't understand this. And why don't I get a front row parking space at the church house? And, and why does he get to teach the class? And why aren't I singing the solo? And on and on and on we go. Well, we start mumbling. And then we grumble. And at some point, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be found out who we really are if this is habitual in our lives. And we're going to go from mumbling to grumbling to fumbling. And yes, if we're not careful, if these attitudes of the heart are not repented from, and we live in this day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, it will give evidence of a profession of faith that was never real in the first place. And we'll go from mumbling to grumbling to fumbling to eventually crumbling, utter destruction. See, God wants us to be joyful and a person who is a true believer will be a joyful, content person. Not that we are like that 24-7, 365, because we all fall, we all struggle, we all stumble. And yet even in that equation, as the mumble and the grumble and the fumble and the stumble and the eventual crumble... For the true believer, it will not be habitual. For the true believer, that we will see the error of our ways and we will repent and turn from that and say, I can't be a complainer. I can't be a grumbler. I don't want to do that because it's not pleasing the Lord. And that's why Jude even explained further when he used the word complainer. And when you really look at that, it just means one who is discontent with their own earthly lot. So you think about that. So you have folks that are grumbling. You have folks that are complaining, these apostates. And yet at the same time, they mouth great swelling words. They mouth great swelling words. They're inflated words. They're excessive. They're insincere praise. They, they love to flatter. They love to shower people with praise, especially those people who they know they can use to get what they really want. And they will tell you whatever you want to hear. As long as they can see you get excited as they shower you with praise. Why do they do this? Why? What's the why? There's always got to be a why. There's always a motive. And the true believer in Christ has a motive that is for the glory of God, number one, for other people, number two, and they themselves are somewhere way down on the list. Remember JOY, the acronym? J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you, in that order. There's a reason for that. That when Jesus is first and others are second, even though me and you are last, that's where real joy comes from. It doesn't make any sense to the flesh. It's counterintuitive to our flesh. But we don't operate according to the flesh. We operate according to Scripture. We operate according to truth. And as we operate according to God's Word, we know that the way up is really down. That you win by losing. You live by dying. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? But in the end, in the end, it was all a sham, and he loses his soul. And now again, they do this to gain their own advantage. What does that mean? Well, it's simple. It just means that they profit themselves to further their own interest. So you got to remember this. One of the great markers of an apostate, one of the great markers of a false teacher, one of the great markers of someone who really is not on the Lord's side, is that they have a selfishness in their life that no matter how much they try to conceal it, it can still be seen. 
There's this self-promotion that even if it's so subtle, even if it's simmering on low heat, so to speak, you can see it. You can smell it. You know it's around. Now, let me make a side note. Should we speak up when something is against God's word? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we're not complaining, we're not grumbling, because that is not in self-interest. That's in defending the truth of God's word. That's standing up for the truth of God's word. We absolutely stand up for the truth of God's word, period. Now, we do it lovingly. We do it gracefully. We do it mercifully. But we don't bend, we don't buckle, we don't break. We stand for the truth of God's word. See, that's why key number one, I want you to write this down in your notes. Key number one, here it is. Write this down. Key number one. In battling for the truth, I must go to war against the temptation to complain. Let me say that again. Key number one, write this down. In battling for the truth, I must go to war. Don't miss that against the temptation to complain. you got to remember that the flesh, my flesh, your flesh, it defaults to complaining. None of us in the room today, if we're truthful and honest, have to go down to our local community college and take a class on how to complain, amen? We're just wired in our hard drive, in our DNA to do this. Why? Because we're focused on self. Complaining is all about being focused on self. If I complain, if you complain, we do so because we're too much looking at self. But have you ever thought about this? I mean, who really wants to be around a whiner and a crybaby? Like, that's repelling, isn't it? If someone is always negative, if someone is always complaining, if you're wondering why people don't want to hang out with you, let me give you some cliff notes. It's because you're complaining and being negative. That's not attractional. That doesn't edify people. That doesn't encourage people. That doesn't challenge people in their walk with the Lord. That is actually a total deterrent, and that's a turnoff for people. They don't want to be around you if you're a complainer. Remember, if it starts as a mumble, it may seem innocent, but the mumble turns into a grumble. The grumble turns into the stumble. The stumble turns into the fumble. And the fumble will turn into the crumble. Do you want your life to crumble? I pray today that if you are a person that struggles with complaining and being a grumbler, I pray right now you just simply say, God, I have a serious problem with being negative. God, I have a serious problem with complaining. God, really, I have a serious problem with being selfish. And God, I don't want to be this way anymore. I want to be a person that reflects who you are, God, of love and joy and contentment and peace. I want to live the fruit of the Spirit should be your prayer. I pray you repent if that's you and turn from that today. Because the reality is that when you look at a home, a life, a business, a ball team, a church, any of those entities where they went off the rails, so to speak, I guarantee you, if you were to perform an autopsy on that home, that life, that business, that ball team, that church, I guarantee you, I promise you, that at some point in that life, that home, that business, that ball team, that church, Selfishness and complaining and grumbling seeped into its DNA and it took over the body. The toxins and the poisons just took it over completely. And ultimately it devastated that home, that individual, that business, that ball team, that church. That's why it's so important that we don't go the way of the apostates that Jude is warning about but we stay anchored to the truth. 
that we battle for the truth, that we contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, that we're in a battle, we're in a war. It's high time we wake up and realize that salvation in Christ is not some hood ornament, some fuzzy dice that we hang around our mirror, some good luck charm. It's not a magic pill. It's not the genie in the bottle. No, salvation in Christ is a life that has truly been changed. It's a life that's no longer the same. It's a life where the old man, the old woman is dead and has been crucified. And as Paul said, that we go forth in the sanctification of this life, dying daily to self. You may be wondering, well, what does God say about complaining? Well, I'm glad you asked. Write down Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what God thinks about complaining, in case you're confused. Here's what it says. Now, when the people complained, okay, we got that established. There was some complaining going on. Here's the result. It displeased the Lord. Anyone wake up today saying, Woo, I can't wait to get out of bed and displease the Lord. Well, of course not. Well, what was the ongoing result in this verse after God was displeased? For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. Wow, that doesn't sound very good, does it? So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Did you catch this today, church? The people complained. They belly ached. They whined. They wanted their binkies and they wanted their blankies. And it displeased the Lord. Because when we complain, what's happening is we are literally saying to God, God, you are not enough. We are literally saying, God, I don't trust you. And this displeased the Lord when they said this. And his response was not of one of, hey, you know what, go sit in the corner, have a timeout. His response was not, hey, you know what, shake it off, you're fine, uh, we'll give you another pass. His response was not, hey, you know what, uh, just get on your iPhone, go play some words with friends, and uh, worst case, uh, if you keep doing it, I, I might make you go stand in the line at the DMV. That'll teach you. No, that's not what he said. Here's what the Lord did. His anger was aroused. Look, here's the deal. None of us in our right minds want God's anger to be aroused, amen? Because it says this, that literally, and don't miss this, so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. See, God is very serious about us that when we say that we're really for Jesus and now we live a life of complaining, we are showing a lost and dying world that we're not really for Jesus, we're really for us. And God doesn't like that because he said this in his word, there shall be no, no, no other gods before me. Zero idols. And when we complain, what we're really doing is we are worshiping the idol of self. When I complain and when you complain, we are worshiping, we are bowing the knee to the idol of self. When you complain and when I complain, we are worshiping, we are bowing down, we are bowing the knee to the enemy and the idol of self. And none of us want to go down that road because the consequences could be fatal. So why do people desire to gain the advantage? that Jude is speaking of. 
Well, again, it's because of this gravitational pull, this allure of the self-life. We all battle this. I struggle with it. You struggle with it. Whether you want to admit it or not, we all struggle with this allure and the gravitational pull. It's like being in a whirlpool. It's like being in quicksand that just sucks you in. That's the gravitational pull. That's the allure of the self-life. It's part of the fall. We love us. We want us. We cheer for us. We will fight for us. We want to do anything and everything that will please us. And God's word says, look, when you really come to me, when you truly give your life to my son, Jesus Christ, that his blood, his righteousness will now be shed over you, will now be covered over you. Here's what happens in that equation. You give up the self-life and you take on the mind and the attributes of Christ as you now become conformed to his image. And yet again, that's so hard and so difficult in this earthly life as we live in these bodies of death. Look at verses 17 and 18 as we look at the why behind these people that desire to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ how they told you that there will be mockers in the last time who walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Uh, That word mockers is very key. It means this scoffers or really you could just say arrogant. Arrogant people, again, selfish people. Arrogant people are prideful people. Prideful people are selfish people. Selfish people are typically insecure people. They're not secure in Christ because they haven't given their life to Christ. When you're secure in Christ, you've given your life to Him. It doesn't mean you won't struggle with insecurity, but the reality is this, that when you truly give your heart and your life to Christ, He is now your identity. He is now your hope. He is now your security. For those that are apostating, for those false teachers, uh, they say we're for Jesus, but we're really not for Jesus. Of course they walk in this vein. Why? Because they've never truly given their life to Jesus. And what do they do? Well, they walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Did you notice that verse 16 uses the same phrase, but verse 18 adds this, ungodly? They walk according to their own ungodly lusts. What does that mean to walk? Well, it means this, to literally live one's life, how we conduct our lives. We walk ungodly, simply this, against God. If something is ungodly, it's against God. And these lusts are not always what we think they are. Typically, when we think of the word lust, what do we think of? Well, we think of something sexual. Could that be the subject of the conversation in regards to the word lust? At times that is true. At times that applies to that. But really, when you look at the word lust, it just simply means this, unbridled desires. That could be anything. There could be a lust for chocolate chip cookies. There could be a lust for sports. There could be a lust for any addiction that you can think of Because what we do with addictions is we self-medicate. We're hurting, we're wounded. We have an unbridled desire for something that at least for a slight moment, at least for a moment, it dulls the pain and fills the void. The problem is Jesus is the only one who can truly take your pain, can take the hole in your heart, can take all the emptiness in your life that you might have today. He's the only one that can set you free from that self-imposed prison. The only thing the addictions will do will keep you on a never-ending merry-go-round going nowhere. And that's why key number two is so important. Write this down in your notes. Key number two. In battling for the truth, I must go to war against the enemy of self. Let me say that again. Key number two. 
in battling for the truth, I must, don't miss this, I must go to war against the enemy of self. If you think you're going to walk in godliness and holiness and in truth and somehow not crucify the flesh daily, you are only fooling yourself. Because as you press closer to Jesus, you got to remember this, the enemy presses closer to you. And as you're pursuing Christ, the enemy doesn't say, hey, I'm glad you finally arrived at this conclusion. I'm glad you're finally here. You know what? Since you're going to pursue Jesus, I'm just going to give up. That's not how this works. The enemy says, okay, big boy, you think you're going to run hard after Jesus. Watch how hard I run after you and sling my fiery darts at you. And if you're not walking in God's word and devouring God's word on a daily basis, if you're not communing with God in fervent, desperate prayer on your face, on your knees, on a daily basis, if you are not amongst the fellowship of believers in a Bible-based church that preaches the word, that encourages you, that holds you accountable, that cares for your soul, if you are not doing those things and you think somehow you're going to get out of this battle without any scars, you're only fooling yourself. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. See, if we're going to battle for the truth, we must, we have to go to war against the enemy of self because every person, me at the top of the list, every person who walks on this earth, their greatest enemy is themselves. The Bible says in James that no one can blame anyone, especially God, when they sin. But each one, me, you, each one, when we are tempted, we are lured away. We are baited. See, we have this heart that, well, it's predisposed towards sin. And so my heart is inclined towards sin. Your heart is inclined towards sin. No one has to tell me to sin, and no one has to tell you to sin. We do it really well by ourselves, amen? And because that's our predisposition, the enemy just has to dangle the lure. He just dangles the bait, the bait of Satan, so to speak. And before we know it, if we're not walking in the truth, we will quickly be walking in deception. John Owen, the great Puritan, said it like this, be killing sin or it be killing you. Be killing sin, or be killing you. And when sin kills me, and sin kills you, we know this, that the consequences of our sin is not typically just singular, but so often the consequences of my sin and the consequences of your sin is corporate and has a ripple effect that's far-reaching as it touches so many people. As the carnage and the damage from bad decisions can affect scores of people if we're not careful. You know, it's interesting because the reality, again, this enemy of self tells us these lies. And as these lies are promoted in our mind, the circus between the ears, the reality, let's just get honest for a moment, I'm my greatest fan, and I'm also my greatest enemy. You are your greatest fan, and you are your greatest enemy. We must get our eyes off ourselves, and we must simply say, God, I can't do this. I'm going to turn my eyes upon Jesus and the things of this earth 
even the self-life will grow strangely dim. How? In things getting better? No. How? In my circumstances improving? No. How? In me moving to the gated community? No. How? Me getting the job in the corner office that overlooks the lake? No. How does this happen? When we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. Because I believe this next statement with all of my heart. I believe we can solve every problem in our individual lives, in our homes, our churches, our businesses, our ball teams, our country, and around the world if we do one simple thing. Just one thing. If every person draws a circle around themselves and just simply says, Oh God, will you bring reformation? Oh God, will you bring reformation to the person that's in this circle? If every person did that, if I did that, if you did that, can you imagine how different our lives would be? And we've got to remember that as we extend love and mercy to others around us, please know this, that as we crucify our own self-life, there's going to be people that are going to be really furious. Because the reality is this, that obedience to God doesn't cost you, the obedient one, a whole lot. But your obedience will cost a whole lot to those people around you who are walking in disobedience. And as you still love them and show mercy and grace towards them, please know this deep truth that ultimately we will never win people to the cross of Jesus Christ by endorsing their sin. So as you crucify the self-life and you have a sphere of influence of people around you that are still living in rebellion and sin, oh yes, please love them, show the love of Christ, uh, be there for them, wash their feet, minister, so to speak, John 13. But listen carefully. If you begin to endorse their sin, and say, you know what? God's okay with this. I know he really didn't mean that. I know I'm going to change my life, but it's okay if you continue to hold on to Jesus and hold on to the world as well. We will never, if we do that, if we go down that rabbit trail, we will never win people to the cross of Jesus Christ by endorsing their sin. We win people to the cross of Jesus Christ by loving them gracefully and mercifully, but at the same time, we love them so much we love them so much that we're willing to speak truth into their lives and stand up for the word of God because how do blind people automatically see they don't do it by themselves how do dead people begin to live they don't do it by themselves we love them and we speak truth into them and we pray and we pray and we pray that the Holy Spirit, John 16, would take over that life. He would convict that life of sin. He would bring the dead to life. The blind would now see and they would begin to walk in freedom and holiness and joy that can never be replaced by anything this world offers. And yet there's so many people, perhaps you today, that they're trying to make their lives about what they are trying to do when you need to start making your life all about what Jesus did for you. Write down Mark, a great supporting text. Write this down, Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Incredible text. And here again, Jesus does not mince words. What I'm about to read to you are big boy words. These words are not for the faint of heart. These words are not for the casual, professed Christian. But these are the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8. And he says this, 34 through 38. When he, Jesus, had called the people to himself. Picture this. With his disciples also, he said to them, I love this. So picture, he calls them over. Hey, come here. Hey, whoops, psh, psh, psh. 
Come here. Over here. Hey, you. Hey, you over there. You on the back row. You over here. Come here. Up here. Everybody, come here. Come up. Right here. Right here. Front and center. Front and center. And then he says to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Now you can pause there for a moment. Can you imagine? The crowd must have been thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. Man, Jesus is doing his thing, and he's calling us over. Woo, I can't wait. I'm going to saddle up next to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus begins to throw down. Like he rips the gloves off. He's like, here we go. We're going to go old school is what he's saying. He says, whoever really wants to come after me, any of you out there in the crowd, you want to come after me? You really want to come after me? Really? Well, here's what you're going to need to do. Number one, you've got to deny you. I mean, right there, can you imagine how many people in the crowd's going, wait a minute. I thought this was all about health, wealth, and prosperity. I thought this was all about me and the self-life and, and having the better life. And every day's a Friday. Jesus says, no. You want to come after me? You really want to follow me? You really want to be my disciple? Well, number one, the first part of the test is this. You have to deny you. Number two, you've got to take up your cross. It's the extent of the denial. And number three, you've got to follow me. And when you follow me, Jesus says, this doesn't mean you just follow me to the mountain. Oh, everybody wants to go to the mountain. Who wants to go to the mountain with Jesus? Everybody wants to go to the mountain with Jesus. But Jesus is saying, you've got to follow me to the cross where there's pain and suffering and heartache. I can imagine the crowd and what they were thinking. Like so many in America who think the same thing today. Really? I don't know if I want to sign up for that. I'll take the fire insurance. I would love to pass around the Monopoly Board of Life and collect 200. I vote yes. But deny me? Take up my cross, the extent of the denial, and go follow Jesus on the mountain, in the valley, and everywhere in between? I don't know if I'm ready for that. Do you think that Jesus picked those three things and just kind of juggled those in the air and said, let's see one falls down first? Don't think so. I believe he said out of the gate, number one, deny you, deny me first. Because Jesus in his hypostatic union, fully God, fully man, yet without sin, he knows the hardest thing we will ever do in the self-life dealing with the enemy of self is denying us. That's the hardest thing we will do. And I believe that's what's holding so many people back from truly giving their lives to Christ. Oh, they'll do all the good things. They'll raise the hand, say the prayer, do the cartwheel, sign the card, get dunked, come out of the water, still eternally lost as a goose. Because they've never given their life to Christ in the first place. They just did all these external religious trappings. That's all about works. And they never got to the point where their heart got crushed. They never got to the point where their heart got ripped wide open. They never got to the point where they said, God, I'm tired of living for me. God, I want to live all the days of my life for you. Here, take my life and let it be. And then Jesus goes on in verse 35 of Mark 8. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. See you. Live by dying. You live by losing. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. Jesus goes on in verse 35 and he says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Huh? That sounds weird. Well, now he explains. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake, capital M, and the gospel's sake, will save it. See, in God's economy, you live by losing your life. It doesn't make any sense to the flesh. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, we no longer operate according to the flesh. We have clear lenses now, new lenses that we see through a new view. And we understand that you really do live by losing. And then in 36, he asks a potent question. For what will it profit a man if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Think about that. What will it profit you today if you gain everything? All the money in the world, all the luxury cars, luxury homes. You have a trophy wife. You have a trophy husband. You have trophy children. You have everything your heart's ever desired. The picket fence and the golden retriever. And yet what will that profit you if you have all of that, but in the end you don't have Jesus and therefore you lose your soul? You're not going to get to Jesus on that day going, man, this was really worth it. Boy, I partied hard in the life. I lived the American dream. I know it's over now, but it was worth it. No, you won't be saying that. You will get to him on that day and there will be eternal regret and there are no do-overs. You can't go back. It's too late. As you will be eternally separated from God. Because you simply did not give your life to Jesus. And then in 37 of Mark 8, he says, Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? He goes deeper as he paints the picture. And then he says these powerful words that should rattle our cage today. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, unfaithful generation, sinful generation, of him, the Son of Man, also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Did you catch that? If we're going to be a stiff-necked, rebellious people that says we love Jesus, but we really don't, that we've apostated, as Jude has been explaining here, that we're really not that person who we say we are, on that day, On that day, on that day, capital T, capital D, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ Himself, is going to be ashamed of those who rebelled against Him in this earthly life. See, if we're not careful from this key number two to really go against the enemy of self and go to war, if you don't want to do that, If you're saying today, I'm content with living with one hand on Jesus and one hand on myself and what I want to do and where I want to go and I'm all about me, if that's you, listen to what James says as he warns us in chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. He says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, In your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. That wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. See, when we're self-absorbed, that is the death blow. It's the fatal death blow. I think Ian Bounds said it so well, so beautifully, when he said the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Amen? Oh, the church so often is looking for better methods. But God is looking for better men. Oh, how I pray that the Holy Spirit will light a fire in our minds and our hearts and our souls right now. All for the praise of His glory that we would yield ourselves to Him, that we would cry out to Him and say, Oh God, bend us. Oh God, break us. Oh God, do whatever you need to do to bring revival to our hearts today. And with that said, lastly, Jude says this, 
in verse 19, these persons, these people, these people are sensual, who cause divisions, not having the Spirit, capital S. Sensual, what does that mean? Well, again, we automatically can go to a sexual connotation, but it really just means this in general. Having this appetite, having these passions, and again, that can be for many things, including those things that are sexual. But what do they do as they have these sensual passions, these sensual desires? Well, the result is they cause divisions. Remember from James that wherever you have this self-seeking, this bitter envy, these passions, this lust for control, and so many times you've seen it and I've seen it, those whose lives are most out of control are typically the same people who lust for control, who lust for power. They're grasping. They're grasping for something, anything, because everything in their life is out of control. And ultimately, because they haven't given their lives to Jesus. Because when you give your life to Jesus, He is now in control. And when Jesus is in control... Everything in your life is no longer out of control. As he leads and you follow, they cause divisions. They separate. They drive a wedge. They sow discord. Why? Well, here's why. They don't have the Spirit, capital S. This is not rocket science. If you're not truly living for the Lord, if you have not truly given your life to the Lord, if the Holy Spirit does not indwell you, of course you're going to cause drama and problems. That's how this works. And that's what happens with these apostates. They're self-seeking. They grumble. They complain. They have these passions, these desires, these lusts for control and preeminence, and, and they want to be the show, and they want to be the deal, and they want their name to be exalted. And the byproduct is that divisions, discord, disunity is reaped in those homes, in those businesses, in those ball teams, and yes, in those churches. So lastly, key number three, I want you to write this down. Key number three, very mission critical. Here it is. Key number three, in battling for the truth, I must go to war against the temptation to be divisive. In battling for the truth, this is key number three. Write this down, mission critical. I must go to war. Can't be passive, can't sit on the sidelines, just like we must go to war against the enemy of self. We must go to war against the temptation to be divisive. It's part of our broken flesh, our DNA. When we pursue selfishness, we will be divisive. And so many times, the tactic the enemy uses that we bite and take that bait and lure of is the bait of gossip. I love the definition that I heard before of gossip. It was once said that gossip is talking to someone about someone who is neither the problem nor the solution. Let me say that again. Great definition of gossip. Talking to someone about someone who is neither the problem nor the solution. See, as we battle for the truth and go to war against the temptation to be divisive, we must remember Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, write it down, verses 5 through 8. Here's what the Word of God says. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds, they misalock their minds on the things of the flesh, on selfishness, on pleasing self. But those who live according to the Spirit, capital S. Do you see the connection between Jude writing and now here in Romans? 
But those who live according to the Holy Spirit, the things of the Spirit, here's what's going to happen, verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. Wow, what a warning. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Why? Because the carnal mind, verse 7, is enmity with God. It literally means this, going to war against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Did you catch this? Those apostates that Jude is talking about can't please God because they're not of God. We don't want to be anything like those people. If we're grumbling, if we're complaining, if we're selfish, if we're doing things to flatter people, to gain advantage, we are unwittingly working for the enemy. And we will cause division. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. Write it down. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Here's what the Word of God says. These are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. That means disgusting to Him. Verse 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil. 19, a false witness who speaks lies. And here it is and one who sows discord among the brethren. Wow, oh wow. God hates that. He despises it. It's disgusting. If we are selfish and promoting self for a self-agenda, we are creating disharmony, disunity. There is not oneness, and God views that as disgusting. We must stop it and repent today. And if you want to see how serious God is about this subject further, write down Titus, Titus 3, 10 through 11. Titus 3, 10 through 11. Here's what Paul pours into Titus as the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write. Here's what he says here in chapter 3, 10 through 11 of Titus. Reject, literally have nothing to do with a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Now that sounds strong. That sounds really strong. But why are we to reject a divisive man, a divisive woman, as they carry out their bidding in the home, in the church, on a ball team, at a business? Why are we to do that? Well, here's what it says in verse 11 of Titus 3. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Anyone wake up today going, I can't wait to be self-condemned? Of course not. And yet that's what division does. If we are sowing discord, if we are being like those apostates that Jude is talking about, the grumblers, the complainers, sowing discord and division as we lust for power and control and the self-life, if that's you today, the Bible is very clear that God looks at that as disgusting. So as you've heard the word of God today, how do we win the war in complaining? How do we win the war in being selfish? How do we win the war in being divisive? If you're here today and you're like, you know what? The Holy Spirit is speaking to me. He is all up in my business I am hearing him clearly. I got to stop this. I got to repent from this. What do I do? Well, the answer is not overly complicated, so don't overcomplicate it. But it will take intentional effort. You will not stumble into this by accident in overcoming your selfishness, your complaining, your divisiveness. Here's the answer. You ready? Wash yourself with the Word of God moment by moment, day by day. Pour truth over your life. Secondly, ask God through the power of the Holy Spirit to cleanse you and free you from this selfishness, from this complaining, from this division that you're sowing. Number three, as you're praying, asking God to cleanse you from that, 
Think of someone, ask God for someone that can hold you accountable, that can walk this out with you. Because if you try this in isolation, you will fail. The flesh is too weak. You're going to need God, number one, to take over this effort. But number two, you're going to need someone here, a band of brothers, a band of sisters, so to speak, that will help you overcome this sin. In a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom, and you're going to need wisdom because you are not going to see you for how you really are. No one lies to us better than we lie to ourselves. We're not self-aware like we should be in holiness, and we're going to need other people speaking truth into our lives. So really, it just boils down to one final takeaway question. One final takeaway question. Do you hunger to hear, to learn, and to obey the Word of God? Do you hunger to hear the Word of God? Do you hunger to learn the Word of God, to internalize it, to meditate upon it, to study it, to investigate it? Do you hunger for that? And lastly, do you hunger to then obey it? Man, I want to obey it. I've heard it. I'm learning it. I'm internalizing it. Now, do I really want to go obey it? That would be the question. Another way you could look at it would be, do you truthfully revere the Word of God? Is there a reverence for the Word of God? Do you long to joyfully submit to the Word of God? If you don't revere it, and you don't have any intention to joyfully submit to it, it's going to be like plowing concrete, trying to overcome your selfishness, your complaining, and your divisiveness. So what can you do? What's an action step? Well, here's one. I will seek to be a self-feeder of God's Word. Be a self-feeder. If the only time you crack open the Bible is on Sunday morning during the sermon, and the remaining 167 plus hours of the week, you're not pouring truth into your life nor over your life, you're only deceiving yourself. You can't detox from the world in 45 minutes or so. It's not going to work. You have to be a self-feeder. you got to want it. If others want it more than you do for your life, you will never want it. You have to be a self-feeder. Because ultimately, no one is going to be as excited about God's Word in your life as you should ultimately be. Think about it. What would happen if you only ate once a week? Well, you would starve. So many people are eating God's Word once a week, and they don't even know it. They're starving. They're literally dying from the inside out spiritually. Because in the end, the question is not going to be, have you claimed to accept Christ? The question is going to be, have you given your life to Christ, and is it true? Because if it's true, you will endure to the end. And yet we're warring against this culture. We're warring against the Americanized version of Cracker Jack Christianity. I mean, think about it. Think about this Americanized version of Cracker Jack Christianity. I mean, why would anyone in their right mind, why would anyone in their right mind reject a little G gospel that promises, promises with no strings attached to punch your ticket to the land of free fire insurance in the sky? It costs you absolutely nothing. And oh, by the way, you get to hang on to your self-life. Why would anyone reject that? Just raise a hand, say a prayer, do a cartwheel, sign a card, get a little wet, and you're in. Because we're so enamored with self, we're so enamored with entertainment, what's in the box for me? 
I want to open the Cracker Jack box of Christianity. I want to see the toy that's inside. And yet what happens is in that version of Christianity, which is false, the heart will get deceptively harder over time. The neck will get deceptively stiffer over time as that person does not move towards Christ. But they will figure out sooner or later for themselves that it was all a sham. And they move away from that profession to apostate forever. Is your yes on the table? That's the question today. Is your yes on the table? Are you willing today to ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want to do with my life? How can I live for you as I joyfully give my life to you? Jesus, my yes is on the table. Have my life and let it be. And oh, by the way, Jesus, if none go with me, if my friends, if my co-workers, my family, even my church friends, if none go with me to follow hard after you, oh, Jesus, my yes is on the table. My yes is in your hands. If none go with me, I'm still following you, Jesus, no matter what it costs me. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.